the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Greetings. Welcome along for the Wednesday edition of The Ride Home. It's the Masters weekend, a lot of golf activity. I love that. This is one of my favorite four days of the entire year. You know what? Half of the office is gone today. This happens from time to time. These guys all go out golfing. I believe that there is a sort of secret golf club here at Word FM. When's the last time you went golfing, John? Uh, that would probably be about 25 years ago. Mike, last time you went golfing? Last summer. Last summer. Okay. I mean, I, I like the idea of it. I just am horrific, horrific. Sure. So I'm not going to spend the time. Here's, I'm glad you brought up time because that's the major problem with golf. Because it takes all day. It takes so long and it's too expensive. It is expensive. It's too expensive. I'll grant you that. It, but it, it when you're is. out there and you're walking or driving, as it were, it's and you're wonderful. surrounded by the beauty, it's a wonderful, lovely. noble sport. Yeah, it is. That I love to be a spectator of, but I just don't have any space in mm-hmm. my life to learn to play golf, uh, any game that lasts that long. I always think that there should be, you know, walking the links, a golf chaplain or a golf peacemaker, because you hear such untoward <laughs> language mm-hmm. when you're on the links. Not, Not to say, point. you know, I mean, and people get so crazy, mad, angry, nutty, and they're just trying, you know, they're just trying to hit a little golf ball and people lose their minds. So if there was a guy just walking, you know, or not even a guy, whatever, people walking in peace through all the different 18 mm-hmm. holes, that'd be a good thing. To just offer counseling. Yeah. Or no, just offer for prayer of Sidewalk peace support. for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I think it'd be nice. There's nothing I enjoy, sports-wise, watching more than the Masters. Really? Okay, so, all right, the Penzer and Stanley Cup playoffs. All what? Right. Okay. So I'm going to say that. Steelers okay. in the Super Bowl? I mean, yeah, okay, so if it's something remarkable, but I'm just saying as far as regular garden sporting. Variety. Garden variety. sporting events. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I love March Madness. But I like the Masters a lot more. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what's good about it is that there's this condensation. They condense all the players. So you're not uh, – well, Don't they do a fabulous job? Oh, yeah. How, so how they televise it. It's perfect for our attention-deprived – Brains. Yes. Because we're skipping from this golfer to that golfer to this golfer. So in five mm-hmm. minutes, you're looking at 12 different guys. And it's so amazing because the guy that just made an incredible shot, you know, an eagle on 12, 10 seconds ago, they're going to show you coming up next. Right. Like, I can't imagine the way that it's all engineered. It's wonderful. Yes. If you've never watched the Masters, if you think golf is boring, you should watch tomorrow. Well, plus there's always sort of the sidebar things. I always like looking at the fashion, mm-hmm. right? I like looking at the- Like, uh, why does Rory Mac? Roy always wear a white belt. I don't know. That's my Just question. His thing, right? I don't know why he wears a white belt. A white belt is so 1974. A white belt. John Hall's fashion rules for the Masters. <laughs> Check out the uh, fashion. I don't understand the white belt. 
That's just his thing. Tiger always looks terrific. He does. Ricky Fowler, he's my pick this year. And neither one of you asked. No, but he I did want not. You to know. Is that the one that wears orange pants uh-huh. all the time? Exactly. Really? Yep. Hmm. I always, I always like. He wears that because he went to USC. Have you ever been to Oakmont? Speaking of the Masters, driven by it. Driven by it. I mean, you know, because when you see the people walking and the the super fans who are mm-hmm. yelling and screaming, what is that all about? I don't know, but Paying I don't feel like I have the stamina, economic capital to be one of those people. What do you think that costs to get in there? A thousand oh. bucks. Oh, to, for for the for when when the um, when the championship is at Oakmont, you mean? Yeah, when you're oh, walking, four hundred dollars a day. Four hundred a day. A higher, it's higher. Just to walk, just to go out there and watch. What well, is kind of cool though? It's around eight hundred dollars. Right. Is it really eight hundred bucks? Man, that's a lot. Right. Remember Lee Trevino? Yeah, of course. Oh yeah. Remember those? You know, I had a crush on Ben Crenshaw when I was little. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's funny. A crush on a golfer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, it's fine. I tell you how limited my no. social life was as a child. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, today's National uh, Golfers Day. Yeah, very nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Got the game dates back to Scotland, John, in the 14th century. Oh, that's good. Funny you say that because uh, later on in the show, we'll be talking to Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg, and he himself appeared in a golf movie, right? Well, uh, the Bobby Jones story, right? We'll ask right. him about it. Oh, of course we have. Yeah, to. I'm yeah. excited about that. I wonder. Day. Wait, I mean, he's from Scotland. He has to be a golfer. That's what you do there. I right? think so. You wear sweaters, and you eat. What's the um, uh, what's it called? The, the oh, the uh, the uh, haggis. Haggis. Yeah, hummus. <laughs> you knew what I was going to say. You yes, know what exactly. I was going for. They yeah. eat, they wear sweaters, they eat haggis, and they play golf. Now I'm, I'm sure Alistair sure will be really happy to, to have him. I'm going to ask him categorize in this narrow right. bandwidth of what we uh, think Scotland's all about. I'm going to ask him. What is it? They're on the 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 peat, right? I think they are on the peat. Yes. Yeah. Walking. And their golf courses are not attractive at all. So no, when they're you, rough. Right. So when you watch the British Open, you think. Really? What's going on there? Like I'm used to watching Pebble Beach, where exactly. like everything is. <laughs> Do you ever play Wii golf? No, oh, I've never played a, Wii anything. Oh, I love that. I it's love that. You never played Wii? No. Oh, our kids got Wii, you know, a long, long time ago, and they've got the, you know, the Wii Sports package, mm-hmm. and uh, it's part of it. And a lot of Pebble Beach looks like Wii Golf. Wow. Which I, I love. think maybe we should say Wii Golf looks like Pebble Beach. Maybe so. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then there's also a bowling game that looks like the final scene of There Will Be Blood. Which, which is, is a great scene. That final scene in the bowling alley. Oh my god! I mean, I, I, mean I shouldn't say it's a great scene. It's a memorable scene. <laughs> oh, it's a I'm sorry. Scene. If you've seen, I'm sorry if you think. Well, I no, can't no. believe she thinks that's a great scene. If you've seen the film, anyway, I digress. Anyway, the Masters begins tomorrow, so we're excited about that. If mm-hmm. you've never watched a golf tournament, they do go on for four days. If you think it's just a one and done thing, no. Right. They... I'll catch some on Sunday. Okay, good. You you won't watch before then. Uh, who's got time? Well, won't you just like look at like at, at night before you go to bed and just kind of see who's at the leaderboard? Maybe. No. Maybe. You know I what mean, I lo- you know what else I love is the ma- the leaderboard at the Masters is just like analog. I mean, it's just paper. It looks like the old scoreboard at Forbes exactly. Field. Exactly. It's nothing crazy no. that lights up and sings songs at you and yeah. advertises UPMC. Right. It's just not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just can't stand. I mean, there's plenty of room for oh, that. that stuff. Also, John, this day in history. Today? The Titanic set sail on its voyage. Its maiden voyage. Mm-hmm. And its only, only voyage. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. The unsinkable yeah. Titanic, right? So what year do you think that was? Hmm. Boy, that's a good question. Jeez. Uh, 1921? How is he so good at that, Mike? Is that, is that the year? Hey, that's the year. Yeah, Johnny. Johnny Hall got it. Very nice. How is that? I don't know. How do you do that? I have a good grasp of cultural history. Man. 
And how about let's talk about Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Kate Winslet. Right. Yes. Right? That's I'm the cheesy, king of the world. Isn't that the cheesiest movie? It is so cheese. It's horrific. I can't. St- I, I've never watched it again. After watching it the first time, Sorry, I thought, you need okay, to see that's one I think, time. Right. I think we're done with that. Yeah. Hey, when I was in uh, California a couple weeks ago, I was. Um, we were coming in on a ferry trip um, into Los Angeles Harbor. Mm-hmm. And do you know – or no, I'm sorry. It was when we were pulling out from Long Beach Harbor. There is the Queen Mary. Oh, right. Which, it's retired there. Mm-hmm. It's a hotel yes. complex. Yeah, exactly. Have you? Did you go on board? No. we were. I mean we went by it on a ferry. Okay. But I didn't know it was there. And so we were coming upon it and I, I, I'm looking thinking – that looks like the Titanic. <laughs> really? Really? What in the world is that? That's cool. You know, it looks just like the Titanic. No kidding. Oh, yeah. It looks huh. just like it. It's on the same, it's a white star line. It seems kind of weirdly out of place there. It isn't is it? so beautiful. Is it? I couldn't get over it. It was right next to, you know, it's, as you said, permanently moored there. It's mm-hmm. a hotel. But right near it was a, a new cruise line, like a Carnival cruise ship right. or something. Anonymous like that. Boat X. The difference in beauty yeah. between the classic Queen Mary and that carnival thing—it was like it was like a, a beautiful, it was like a beautiful Renoir, and like a digital scoreboard. Mm-hmm. The difference. Big. Uh, it's it a have gorgeous the, uh, boat. Did it have the yes. smokestacks that yes. sort of were like that leaning is, yes. back? Yes. That makes it look like the whole ship is moving, even though it's I'm sitting. I'm telling you, if you saw it, you it would take your breath away. Oh, it's lovely. so beautiful. Would you want to stay there? Yes. That'd be cool. I wanted to climb off the ferry and see if I could investigate. And I, since I didn't know that it was moored there, I'm instantly like on my phone trying to figure out what is that boat? I see. Mm-hmm. You know, and why is it there? Anyway. Very nice. So today, uh, this day in history, the Titanic. The Titanic, we salute you. Very mm-hmm. good. Yeah. King of the world. King of the world. Yeah. Okay. So we have a lot ahead today. We're oh, going to we're gonna get into a great conversation with Issa Macaulay next. Um, we're going to talk about the co-opting of the black experience. Do white people do it? Do white progressives do it? Do white conservatives do it? Stick around. Just a little while. What? Masters golf? What is this? Maybe it's... Um, we're doing a jig. Maybe it's Alistair Begg music. It's a fine day here. WORD. All of human history centers on two events, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thursday, we begin a series called Journey to the Cross to prepare our hearts for Easter and the celebration of these pivotal events. Listen Thursday to Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Tomorrow morning at 6 on 101.5 WORD. Oh, wow! It can't be. Oh, yes, yes, yes! Oh, where have you been? If you snore, the first time you use Mute can be quite an experience. <laughs> I can breathe! I can breathe! Snoring can happen when your nose is blocked, forcing you to breathe through your mouth. Mute is a comfortable nasal breathing device designed to increase airflow through the nose by gently opening the airways. <laughs> Thanks to Mute, you get all the air you need through your nose and not your mouth, which means less snoring and more chance of sleep. Oh, that's the best night I've had in years. In trials, 75% of couples reported a reduction in snoring when using Mute. Available at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid and other fine stores. To find your local store or for more information, go to MuteSnoring.com. Mute. Breathe more, snore less, sleep better. 
At Accurate Solutions Group, we're known to consort with pirates, penguins, and even panthers, and of course the Steelers. Maybe fans of Pittsburgh's most beloved sports teams turn to us because they know we're Yinzers too. So whether you're a pirate fan, penguin, panther, or Steelers, or all of the above, give us a call. I'm Kurt Kenotic. Ethan and I will help you get to where you need to be. Retirement is what we do, independent is what we are, and fiduciary is how we practice. Retire with confidence, clarity, and independence. A retirement blueprint from Accurate Solutions Group. It's customized and personalized to your unique situation. Call 412-515-3555. It's never too late and it's never too early. 412-515-3555. Or visit asgretire.com. Investment advisory services offered through ASG Investment Management, LLC. Word FM presents the Pittsburgh Prayer Conference, Thursday, May 2nd at 7.30 p.m. through Friday, May 3rd. Join Pastor John Guest and an expert panel of prayer warriors from RPTS, Geneva College, the Biblical Counseling Institute, Impact Christian Church, and more as we explore and grow in this vital gift and privilege to the church, featuring seven general and two breakout sessions. The Pittsburgh Prayer Conference, May 2nd and 3rd at Christ Church at Grove Farm. Tickets and details at wordfm.com slash prayer. Oh, 1912, not 1921. We stand corrected there. Dyslexia has set in. Well, you know, I was glancing at my notes. Yes. And I'm so used to you being right. Well, thanks for rooting for me. Yeah, I mean, I was rooting for you. Yes. Uh, You said that the Titanic set sail in 1921, and I was like, yeah, great. But then someone called in and said, you're both morons. And we were like, no, we're not morons. They didn't say that. No, they didn't really say that. But then I looked over there and I thought, well, I am a moron. No, no, no. Please, you're much too harsh. Yeah, so it's 1912. So it was pre-World War I. I was thinking it was post. Mm -hmm. You've seen the photographs of the shipyard where it was built. You see those, you know, all the men standing together. It's really cool. Right. Well, if if I would have thought about um, Downton Abbey. Oh, of course. Because there that, it was. that's right, the right. order that happened in. Right, right. Hey, uh, Dr. Esau McCulley is with us. Dr. McCulley is assistant professor of New Testament at uh, North... No, actually, he's moved. He's right? at Wheaton. He's moved is to Wheaton. Wheaton now, Esau? Yeah, wait, wait. Esau, how you doing? I'm hey, starting in Wheaton in about, in about... I'm starting in Wheaton in about two months. So okay. for the next month, I'm still at Northeastern Seminary in Rochester, New York. And then starting in this coming fall, I'll be at Wheaton College. Okay. Nice. Well, first of all, congratulations on your new appointment. Yes. Second of all, um, you're, you. just, you're just going from one cold weather place to another cold weather place. What's that about? Well, well technically, there's 100 inches of snow per year in Rochester, <sighs> mm-hmm. and there's 40 inches of snow per year in Chicago. Oh. Believe it or not. I'm going to better, better weather. <laughs> yeah, except that it's like <laughs> ten <laughs> times it's ten times as windy, and so yeah, yeah. you're messed Much up either colder. way. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to tell my wife on this idea, so you're not really helping. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you know what? When she listens to the podcast, just we'll just x this out. Yeah, but you know what? The Chicago is it's much more metropolitan or cosmopolitan, I yeah. should say, right? Well, yeah. Well, we're about 45 minutes outside of the city, but losing 60 inches of snow is nothing to sneeze at, in my opinion. Right. No, exactly. So, I'm not, all for not it. Not that Rochester isn't wonderful. It's a wonderful place, but right. you know. Do you own a snowblower? No, it's 60 more. No, I kind of am a Neanderthal, and so I like being able to shovel the snow yeah. myself with mm-hmm. my own hands, yeah. and feel like I've cleared a path for my family. <laughs> okay, that's good. Escaping to the world. That's good. Keep in mind, though, last time I was in Chicago, which was in June a couple years ago, there was a tornado on Lake Michigan. Mm. It was the seventh game of the Stanley Cup Finals that the Blackhawks were in, and the entire city shut down because it was torrential. I mean, right. I, this is just all bad news for you, so, Esau. I'm sorry. I, 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 
So you're what? I've already taken the job, right? And yeah. so all you're doing is like raging on my parade. Right, Sorry. right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> Please, all right. Yes. Okay. So, okay. Isa, John and I, um, we followed with interest uh, the deliberations of the United Methodist Church as they were trying to come to a decision uh, about a month or so ago about whether they were going to accept um, – people who did not subscribe to not to traditional marriage into the pastorate. And um, so, yeah. you know, we, a big deal. we had watched this in the Presbyterian church over the years. Certainly, you know, there was conversation in your own denomination in the Anglican church. And um, ultimately, for those who didn't follow along with the news story, the United Methodist Church voted to uphold traditional marriage as the standard for those who are in the pastorate. And that was despite, I would say, the white progressive push here in America um, saying, well, you know, this is you, you can't be in the Neanderthal era. But. There were African leaders in the Methodist Church who were the ones that had a greater number and came alongside and said, you know what, we're not going along with that. We we believe in traditional marriage and that we believe that's the biblical standard. So Esau, from your position, I mean, you saw this happen in your own denomination. How did you read the goings-on in the United Methodist Church? Well, it was interesting. Obviously, we can say that um, the United Methodists in the United States aren't a monolith, so they are progressive african-americans and latinos and white um christians who want to change the definition of marriage but on the whole the the majority of the global church methodist church decided they wanted to uphold the traditional reading and so one of the things that i thought was really interesting about that was that we always speak about wanting to listen to the voice of the global church and to include other voices and i thought it was really interesting to see this conflict in values of saying on the one hand we want to listen to other voices. On the other hand, when these voices don't agree with us, then they're sometimes marginalized. And so I was just wondering, well, under what circumstances do we listen to diverse voices? Are they simply kind of a a mouthpiece for our own ideas, or are they, are they able to do theology for themselves? And there is a, a huge gulf there, isn't there? I mean, when you look at uh, traditional marriage, and especially a traditional view of marriage, um, in America, that, that ship has sailed. But in other parts of the world, I think especially in Africa, right, uh, that sanctity is still there, and the traditionalists have reigned over, although I'm sure that, you know, uh, sooner or later that will melt away. Well, I think it means—I think it depends what you mean by saying that ship has sailed. I would say that if you're talking about legal protections of same-sex couples in the United States as it relates to ability, ability to, you know, buy houses and pass along inheritance, that's one conversation. Yeah, sure. A different conversation is, like, what will the Church actually teach its members about marriage? And I would say that that question is far from settled. I'd say there's only been maybe one to two denominations, no, um, none of the probably five to ten largest American denominations have changed their definition of marriage. So you can look at the seven black, uh, historically black denominations, all of them oppose the traditional view on marriage. The Roman Catholic Church, which is the vast majority of Christians, I mean, the largest in the United States, along with the Southern Baptists, they haven't changed. And so to say that the ship has sailed on the actual teaching of Christians, I'm not sure that's there. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's, I, don't actually, I actually don't think that America as a whole is going to change, the American church as a whole is going to change its teaching on marriage. It doesn't seem to me to be in the office. 
Now, your own denomination, the Anglicans and the Episcopalians, yes. they split over that, right? Um, yes. The PCUSA, the Presbyterian, which is the largest denomination in the, in the Protestant Church, they themselves have split over that as well. Mm-hmm. So th- there is certainly a movement underfoot, isn't there? Yes. I, I, I would, oh, there's definitely um, divided opinion amongst Christians. I think the Christians disagree. Whether or not the majority of Christians will ultimately decide to change the definition of marriage is what I think is still mm-hmm. unclear. Sure, right. I see. And okay. once again, once again, the PCA and the um, um, PCUSA EPC. and the Episcopal Church mm-hmm. and the EPC, those are largely white denominations. We really haven't really asked the question of what's happening in minority churches in the United States. Which right. is a, it's, still comp- it's still complex. I, I'm not saying that there, any of them are monoliths. What I'm saying is the conversation is more complicated than that. Right. Once again, I would, yeah, so that's what I would say. Okay, so that is the part of your article that was most um, thought-provoking to me, because as you were talking about, the black church is kind of a, I don't know, as a standard bearer of, of uh, fidelity to biblical teaching, um, and how uh, perhaps white people in their desire to... I don't know if it's if it goes too far as to co-opt um, the black story um, that they that you're and you're a black man. So I'm saying your uh, your yeah. people have been pulled by different sides saying, well, you know, we're already on your side. Now, I, I don't think I'm doing a good job explaining this. So let me say this. But yeah, I guess, I, I, I guess what I was articulating was this idea that when it comes to issues like marriage and public fidelity, in general, kind of evangelical traditions tend to laud the black church. Like, look, the black church believes in the Bible, they believe in traditional marriage. Right. But when it comes to other emphases of the black church, we talk about things like police reform or systematic impression, oppression and racism. When we start talking about those things, then evangelicals say, well, no, 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 like, be quiet. And then on the other side, when we with our progressive white Christian friends, they love it when we talk about social justice, and they love that part. When we bring in the Jesus... I shouldn't say that. We bring in more traditional theological theological ideas, then we get pushback. And so the idea mm-hmm. is that in some ways the black Christian is never at home, that um, we're sometimes too conservative for progressive traditions, and we have too much of a public witness um, for more tra- traditional white Christians. Sure. That's fascinating. Yeah, and so in this story, um, this kind of— in sight to example of the United Methodist Church, um, you've got white progressives who are from America who are saying, look, this is, you know, the the um, the most egalitarian idea is that you should just be with whoever you want to be with and everybody should just love whoever they want to love. And so those those archaic examples of biblical fidelity are things that we've left behind because we've evolved past that. And you all in the black church should know that because we're on your side. We've always yeah. been on your side. Well, I, I, I guess, and that's, that's the question of whether or not progressives have always been on our side. That's a, there's a much more complicated history of progressive thought in the United States. Um, but what I would say is the following. It's like, if we've learned anything from the colonialization period, is that we should be very leery when a small percentage of one part of the church or the world thinks it's going to teach everyone else. And so we're in a place where a certain a, a minority of Christians in America, maybe half the Christians in America, which is the great economic power, has come to this conclusion that they're then going to pass on to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, historically, when America does stuff like this, we're wrong half the time. And so that's, if there's one of the things that you learn from kind of progressive thought is be weary of cultural imperialism. 
And so what I'm saying is, and I think this is actually what the African church was saying in the, in the Methodist context, we don't actually need the American church to teach us how to do theology. We can do it ourselves. And so what I would say is that's what the pushback is, is, is whether or not we're giving um, significant respect to the global church and whether or not we engage in them as intellectual peers. Because there's one thing to just dismiss someone. If you say that, you know, you're homophobic or you're, it, it, it's a way of closing off the argument instead of taking their ideas as being of sufficient theological weight to really garner a serious response. And in some cases, in some cases, there's not a serious theological response. There's just a dismissal of the very idea. Hmm. So then, Esau, are, are Christians of color being, you know, co-opted or pulled left to right by those who would want to use their, you know, whether it's liberal, liberal or conservative, people are taking pieces of you and trying to own it for themselves. And, and you know, as the black church, like any other church, it mostly is not monolithic. How do you decipher that or, you know, stay true to that without having to be piecemealed away? You, you know what I'm saying? Well, I, I think I think it requires being willing to be perpetually uncomfortable. Huh. I think that to be to be an African American Christian in the United States and to be kind of at the center of our tradition is to be uncom- to be uncomfortable. And there's a lot of economic and financial and cultural benefits. And I sh- I don't want to say that anybody's motivated by money on the right or the left. There's just a lot. It's just easier to go one way or the other. And I think it takes courage to be willing to mm-hmm. kind of stand in the middle of both traditions yeah. and speak a word of critique. Because it, it is the case. I mean, it's simply the case that as long as African-American Christians are talking about abortion and marriage, we are the darlings of evangelicalists. Mm-hmm. But when we expand out beyond that, we are called social justice warriors and cultural Marxists. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. And, and when we go beyond talking about the things that— we call social justice, I just call them the things in the Bible, came off the poor, the needy, the weak, the weak and the disenfranchised right, in the yeah. Old and New Testament. When we, when, we, when, we, when we go beyond those kind of concerns that are readily accessible to popular culture and talk about things like the exclusivity of Christ and these other issues, we get pushed back from the other side, and we call fundamentalists. And you just got to have an, um, a tough enough skin. I mean, there's worse things that happen to Christians in the world than being criticized on social media for being... Um, reading the Bible as faithfully as you can and trying to apply the, apply the whole thing to your life to witness. Dr. Esau McCauley is with us, Assistant Professor of New Testament at Northeastern Seminary in Rochester, New York. Um, Esau, while the whole debate was going on in the uh, United Methodist Church uh, body, there was an allegation that the reason that the black leaders from Africa in particular um, were so conservative biblically on the issues of sexuality was because yes. of, originally because of white colonialism. Yes. So this is really interesting, right? And so <laughs> the issue it made my head spin a little is, bit. I got to tell you. Yes. The, the idea is that African American African Christians were evangelized by evangelicals, which is roughly true, and therefore the traditional theology of Africa is nothing but a manifestation of kind of the long shadow of colonialization. But, I mean, the same the same thing could be said about the progressive turn in seminaries. So the rise of a progressive black theology maps right onto the liberal turn in American seminaries in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Mm-hmm. And so the same accusation of saying that black conservative thought is a manifestation of the long shadow of conservatism, then 
black progressivism is, is kind of the long shadow of German liberalism eventually in, um, making its way into the black church. The point of all of that is that none of us as Christians just jump into Christianity ex nihilo. We were all evangelized by someone, and we all bear the marks of that initial evangelization. The question is, once can we take these things and make them our own? And to claim that African Christians or African-American Christians couldn't read the Bible for themselves and make their own decisions, doubt our own. It's racist. Mm-hmm. It's racist to say that we can't, we, that we're unable to break off the shackles mm-hmm. of colonialization. The other thing that it does is it creates like a hermeneutical barrier. So if you disagree with me, then you have been colonized. So what are my options? My options are to agree with you or call myself a colonizer. That's not actually a conversation. That's a weapon. Right. And so we have to respect one another, once again, to address our ideas as ideas, instead of trying to find a way to close off that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I hate forgive me for rambling, but the if you want to say, at least in the American context, the African the African the African American church began began as especially the black church tradition, as when they left the white church. So the white churches wouldn't receive them, for example, in the context of the AME. They leave those churches, and they start their own denomination. At that moment, experiencing the rejection from white Christians, they were free to create their own theology. And the fact that they maintained biblical fidelity and theological orthodoxy speaks to their own intellectual decisions that these things divide us what it means for us to be a Christian. And to deny that is, to me, to deny the intellectual capability and the integrity of the entire black church tradition. Amen to that. You saw even go back further than that. One of the most fascinating, I don't know, historical developments that, in our country that I, that I have looked into is the, is the, uh, is the, is how American slaves hung on to Christianity despite the fact that their white owners were also spouting Christianity. Yeah, I mean, talk I about talk black- about having enough—not just an intellectual capacity, but enough faith, Mercy. just faith in general, uh, enough belief that yeah. I know who Jesus is and He's not that. I mean, yes, it, I would say, go ahead. I, w- I would say that Black Christianity begins as a protest religion. It begins um, by affirming their identity. As image bearers, it begins as a protest to the anthropology that was imposed upon them by white Christians. It also begins as a protest of established American law. This is why black theology will always be political. In law in the United States, of slavery, and the black Christians from the beginning opposed that. And so black Christianity, by its very nature, was uh, creative. And it was affirming who God had called them to be in the Bible. It's really interesting because if you if you read the the stories of some of early Black Christianity, you have these accounts where the white slave masters would only want um, want to hear sermons on parts of Saint Paul, which says "slave submit to your masters." But they kept hearing, in the context of this being in the church, all of these other stories. So they'd hear about the Exodus. They'd hear snatches about who Jesus was, and they kind of put those things together and discern that the, that the version of the Bible that had been taught to them by their slave masters was not accurate. So even though they were illiterate, they seemed to be questioning slave master execution. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that unto itself is, a, is in many ways a miracle, right? That they that's could the, cut I, through all that clutter and, and find the truth of the gospel. And I think that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I would say I would say in the providence of God, they yes. were able to hear God's word 
even though it was overlaid with um, tons of sin. One of the things, one of the things that's really interesting though, is when we talk about like slave master exegesis and black slave exegesis, we, we we talk about it as if like there was one group that kind of thought slavery was good and one group that thought slavery was bad. It's actually more complicated than that, because the white slave masters did think that slavery was wrong for them, right? There was no version of kind of white advocacy that says, hey, you know what, we just happen to be free, and if we were the ones on the other side, we'd be happy to be slaves. In reality, what it was rooted in was a, was a denial of black image bearers. It was actually about different anthropologies, because the white Christians agreed that none of them should be slaves, and so the only way that they could find an exegetical means by which they can enslave other people was not simply by quoting Paul. It was by creating a, a different kind of human being, and then they put African Americans into that category. So and I think that basically throughout the last few hundred years, most Christians have thought that slavery didn't apply to them, and all the black Christians did is say, we're a part of the them to whom slavery doesn't apply. We need to take a break. Dr. Esau McCulley is with us. Dr. McCulley also serves as a priest in the Anglican Church in North America, directs the Anglican Multi-Ethnic Network. He is also assistant professor of New Testament at Northeastern Seminary in Rochester. Stay with us. Dr. McCulley is going to stick around as well. The following statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. Amberin trials tested mild to moderate symptoms. Testimonial is based on 90 days of use. Results may vary. Nielsen, U.S. XAOC, 52 weeks, dollar sales. Hi, I'm Mary Lou Retton, and I want to talk to you about something I haven't liked to talk about until now, my menopause. All my life, I've had energy, energy to win gold in 84. But when menopause hit me, with the hot flashes and night sweats, I began to feel sluggish every day. That all changed when I discovered Amberin. Amberin safely relieves 12 menopause symptoms by helping to restore your hormonal balance. Amberin is 100% drug-free and estrogen-free. Amberin is America's number one menopause relief supplement in dollar sales. Thanks to Amberin, my fear of hot flashes is gone. My sheets aren't soaked every night, and my energy is back. Give Amberin a try and see what it can do for you. It works. It really works. Hurry to your Walmart, Walgreens, Target, and other fine retailers nationwide and get Amberin today. It's where the Sahara meets the Nile and the Mediterranean Sea. Only here exist the perfect conditions for growing the finest cotton in the world. I'm John Hall. Nowhere else can you find cotton so luxuriously soft and light, yet super strong and able to hold deep, vibrant colors, wash after wash. It's this very cotton Mike Lindell has used to create my pillows, Giza Dreams bedsheets. Try them once, and you'll never want to sleep on anything else again. And right now, get a special 30% off my pillow dream sheets with free shipping. Use promo code WORD when you call 800-391-0954 or place your order at MyPillow.com. 60-day money-back guarantee if you're not completely satisfied. Call 800-391-0954 or visit MyPillow.com and be sure to use promo code WORD for 30% off plus free shipping. Sweet dreams from my pillow. I have never had a female dentist. I started to have problems with a tooth, and I thought, you know what? I'll just go once. David remembers his first visit with Dr. Megan Stock. I had such a good time that I'm surprised they allowed me to come back because I had a lot of things that needed to be fixed. She makes you feel so calm and so comfortable. She's just terrific at what she does. I have had no discomfort at all with anything that she's done. Perry Highway in Wexford at Stock. 
DocFamilyDentistry.com. Right now, there are young people across the world facing a tough choice. Continue their dream of education or drop out to help their family put food on the table. You can help change their future in a single moment. See how far your support can go at Unbound.org. Mostly cloudy tonight with a low near 40 degrees. For tomorrow, we do turn warmer again with clouds and some intervals of sunshine. A high right around 70 for tomorrow night. Mostly cloudy, mild with a low of 57. And for Friday, cloudy with periods of rain and a thunderstorm from mid-morning on. High 69 degrees. With Iraqi weather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. Dr. Isama Kali is with us. He wrote a piece called Keep That Same Energy, African Methodist and the Whole Black Testimony. It appears at the website, which is really interesting, called The Witness. Uh, Esau, we've been talking about a lot of theory, and so I want to end with uh, some things that are practical. Um, I think the first time we I think it was the first time we talked to you. I yeah, it was because I was doing you know like kind of a deep dive trying to figure out like who's Esau Macaulay and like looking at what you've been writing <laughs> and doing. You know, I don't mean to like think I don't want you to think I was being creepy, but you know, I was trying to you know get a picture. No, you need to do your due diligence, I'm, right? Yep. So you had just been spearheading a conference of. Um, of black Christian thought leaders. And this is what was so fascinating to me. There were maybe 10 people who were speakers on that list. And I think that, you know, John and I are pretty wired in to the, to the writers and the thinkers in contemporary Christianity. I didn't know one of those people. All right. And I thought to myself, what, how bifurcated is the church that you have chosen those people as major thought leaders? And I didn't even know their names. Yeah, I think that we all have our own theological communities or subcultures. And if we're not intentional about seeking out other people, then it's easy to remain isolated. Yeah. People keep asking me, every time I go to one of the, I, I go to a conference where I speak somewhere, this actually happened a few weeks ago, or last week when I was here, well, what should we do? How can I find out about black theology? And it's like, well, it's not that complicated. It's in basically the church is all across your city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And it's, Show it's, up. It's, it's very rare that we're willing to go into an African-American church and sit under the teachings of black men and women who lead those churches. And so what I would say is that rather than simply having an entire congregation join another congregation once a year, but that Christians of different ethnic groups should go and really attend those churches mm-hmm. and begin to be a part of that community and learn to serve. It's almost like whenever there, and this happens even in this conversation, whenever there's one African-American or two African-Americans in a room that's mostly white, that person is often giving you a filtered version of reality that he's thinking, he or she is thinking that you can handle. So if you really want to, what's going on in a, a, a real black conversation, you need to go where you're actually the minority. That's good. And very, very rarely are are people willing to go to a place where they are the minority. African Americans, for the most part, have no choice because you know you, most jobs and universities, except for the historically black ones, they aren't the majority. And so I would say it's really important for white Christians to be comfortable being a part of conversations where they're not in charge. That's good. That's necessary. That is necessary. You saw thanks. We, we appreciate your conversation and your candor and uh, willingness to join us on the air. Always a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thanks for inviting me back. I'm glad. I must have not done anything too bad if you asked me to come back. So thank you. <laughs> no, and, and if we found out that you were going to root for the Pens tonight in the first round of the uh, hockey playoffs, we'd even like you better. Yeah, but 
Oh, so the hockey playoffs are going on? Oh, they see oh, that. Listen. Oh, that hurts how he said yeah, that. That's very good. Yeah. Hey, so thanks right. an awful lot. Appreciate it. Esau McCulley, listen, uh, The Witness. Check this uh, website out, would you please? TheWitness.com. Be right back. Dr. Esau McCulley's been with us. You can find more at the podcast, johnandkathyshow.com. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-494-2323. That's 800-494-2323. 800-494-2323. Or go to SelectQuote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. Blue Star medicated ointment works fast to relieve the pain and itch of almost any skin irritation. It's amazing. It's like as soon as you put it on, you can feel it working. We've had Blue Star in the family for years. It works on everything. I love the cooling sensation on my athlete's foot. What a relief for my eczema. Nothing worked on my dry, cracked skin until I tried Blue Star. Blue Star is great for scalp itch. Look for the white box with the Blue Star in the first aid section. Feel Blue Star work fast or your money back. Got different companies running your web design, social media marketing, and geofencing, but not sure which is getting you customers and which is a waste of your dollars? Contact us at Salem Surround. We can put all your digital marketing under one roof, give you monthly reports, and instantly move your advertising to the most effective areas of your digital marketing suite. Salem Surround. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com, surroundpittsburgh.com, connecting you with new customers. Hi, this is Tud Shulkin. Join me and head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, Steelers players Vance McDonald and Stefan Toot, and pastors Brian Loretz and Ed Glover for Man Up Pittsburgh on Saturday, June 8th at Victory Family Church in Cranberry. Man Up is a day for all men to work on becoming the best godly leaders they can be. There will be free food, fellowship, worship, powerful messages, and dynamic breakout sessions from high schoolers to grandfathers. This is for you. Register today at manupittsburgh.org. Hosted by Urban Impact and brought to you locally by Chick-fil-A of Pittsburgh. Hey, as everybody knows, uh, who knows and loves a cat, one of the big differences between a cat and a dog is that when you call a dog, it it comes bounding towards you, right? right. Uh, A cat, though... You might as well be whispering into the void of outer space if you call your cat's name. But new research says that your cat actually does know its name and is well aware that you are calling it. The problem is the cat just doesn't care. <laughs> and I think that anybody who knows and loves a cat, yeah, and you I go, can believe that. I uh, cat owners are not surprised that your cats do, not, do understand their own names. But until now, science was actually out of the question. Now... Research has shown the cats do know their names, albeit they barely care. The authors said 
The training of cats to perform on command would require a lot of effort and time. Instead, they took a different approach, playing a voice saying four words followed by the name of the cat, all in the same intonation, and noting the animal's responses and movements through video recordings made in the cat's normal surroundings. The results showed the cats rarely did more than twitch an ear or move their heads in response to the voices, with very few so much as moving their tail, let alone meowing back. Nonetheless, the research team said the results were based on a four-point scale of how much each cat responded, showed the cats can tell their name apart from other words. Mm-hmm. Of course they, they can. Of course. They know. Just don't care. Thank kidding you. kidding me? They know. How about that? Do you do this? No. You don't do that? Uh-uh. Well, that's always my introduction to a cat. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. It's like a secret. For some reason, cats respond to that. Okay. I make, I, for some reason, I've always made a different sound. What do you make? Okay. Do they respond? Yes. And I don't know why I make that sound around cats. I just always have. And they respond, and so yeah. I just assume that this is a language they understand. Do it again. Here they come. They're all coming. There we go. That's how they are. What about the myth of cats and milk? No, my cats couldn't care less about milk. Oh, no. If I would drink cereal, you know, eat cereal, yeah. my cat would always come around. No. Neither of my cats have any interest in milk. They absolutely are crazy about vanilla yogurt. Vanilla yogurt. But oftentimes I'll eat yogurt in the same bowl that mm. I'm eating cereal. And oh, then, there you go. So, and I put the bowl down afterwards, see if they want to lick it out. And there's always such... Not just disappointment when they realize that it's milk and not yogurt, but there's just this great disdain. Mm. Like, how dare you? How dare you? Like, really? You've chosen to eat that? Did you ever step on a hairball? How? Like every day? Oh my gosh! It's a. I mean, the this cat is and what the hairball. How about hairball medicine? Have you seen that? Yeah, that works. <laughs> it just kind of you know gets things it's like all together. Grease in the cat's throat. Okay, listen to this. Okay. Uh, tax time's coming up. Oh, it is. It's, super, I mean, it, super this close. is now. Super close. Mm-hmm. Many Americans are getting creative. Okay. <laughs> That's not a good way to Push, be creative. <laughs> pushing the limits on deductions to reduce their tax bill. Mm-hmm, yeah. The goal, of course, is to get away with as much as you possibly can without getting a knock at the door or a nasty letter or anything like this. Yeah. According to USA Today, you'd be surprised at what the IRS allows tax filers to deduct. Oh. Okay. One of the things that came up first, and this is why I thought of it when you were talking... Cat food. What? A South a South Carolina scrapyard owner wrote off three hundred dollars for the cost of cat food as a business expense. Oh sure. Claiming that the food attracted wild cats to the business to scare off snakes and rats. Oh, so they're the cat deduction, security. The deduction was approved. Of okay, course, here are yeah, a couple yeah. other things Makes that were sense. approved. Okay. Uh, are you ready? Clarinet mm-hmm. lessons. 1962, the IRS ruled that a taxpayer could deduct the cost of a clarinet and clarinet lessons for his son because an orthodontist recommended playing the instrument as a way to treat his overbite. (laughs) Awesome. Boarding school. What? 1944, the U.S. tax court said a taxpayer from Cleveland could write off costs related to sending his daughter to boarding school in Tucson because the five-year-old suffered from chronic bronchitis. And it was considered a medical expense. A five-year-old's going to go to boarding school? Mm-hmm. Mm. Isn't that terrible? That's horrible. Tanning oil. <laughs> well, I guess if you're like Mr. Universe A Wisconsin bodybuilder. Ah, uh, there you go. Deducted almost yeah. $14,000. Oh, my gosh. From 1999 to 2001 for the cost of three body oils that helped his career. Really? 
and yeah. his tanned the hide. The U.S. tax court allowed the business expense write-off because the oils were primarily marketed in bodybuilding magazines instead of sold to I the see. public. Okay. okay. So, so you could write off a tanning bed if you were so inclined. You could, but I don't think – well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not speaking on behalf of the IRS. I want to tell you, though, about four instances where people tried to get away with stuff and the IRS was like, oh, absolutely Happens not. every day, I'm sure. You ready? One taxpayer with a, <laughs> with a real estate business calculated the value of his life time and expertise to his business coming up with $1.75 million. <laughs> then he amortized that amount as a business expense. <laughs> it's creative. You have to give the guy credit. A businessman tried to write off the cost of a mink coat for his wife mm. to wear to a business function to make him look better. Sure, of course. That wasn't allowed. Right. A diabetic on a restrictive diet tried to deduct the costs of lettuce, tomatoes, artificial sweeteners, and reduced salt foods as a medical expense. Okay. No, nope, uh, didn't work. Oh. IRS said forget it. Here's my favorite. This is awesome. This is the author of a failing furniture store paid someone to burn it down. Oh, as he should. He reported the insurance he received as income to the IRS. Mm -hmm. But then he went one step too far and deducted what he paid the arsonist as a consulting fee. You big dummy. (laughs) Go ahead. What? Make my day. What the heck? And admitted it during an IRS audit. Oh, really? And admitted that he had a And then he went to prison. Mm-hmm. Holy And smokes. he also did not get to deduct that as a consulting expense. Of course, expense. yes, yes. Listen, is it not torture? Do you do the taxes or do you go, do you go to someone? We go to someone, but it doesn't matter because no, you, have, you have, have to spend to six hours assembling everything six. and answering every question and finding every... It's the worst. It is... Listen... You know, I've said on the air, and you can all mock me for it, but I just try to be honest about who I am. I voted for Ted Cruz in the re- – uh, I'm Wrong. a Republican. Because of, the ta- <laughs> because of the tax code? No, I voted for Ted Cruz in the um, primaries last year Yeah, because I liked, I liked him better than the other ones. Yeah. Right? There was hardly anybody left by the time I got to Pennsylvania. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, one of the things I liked best about Ted is he said every American should be able to do their taxes on a postcard. Wouldn't that be nice? What we're doing is crazy. Of course it is. It's crazy. Yes. Hey, I'm, Ted Cruz, funny you brought his name up. He's in the news again. Why? Oh, we'll talk about this later on. Is, uh, he a little, I mean, is he doing something crazy? No. Ted Cruz is going to host a hearing to see if Twitter messed with Unplanned, the movie, their account, uh. which was deleted from Twitter. Well, somebody messed with it. Someone did it. Somebody messed with it because as soon as it started bringing in all sorts of attention and cash, somehow people on Twitter couldn't find it. The the R-rated movie about abortion. Right. Rated R-Y. I don't know. We'll find out. We're going to see it tomorrow. That's right. I'll take a quick break. Come back. Uh, Five o'clock hour. Alistair Begg is with us. He of Truth for Life. He's got a workout on prayer. We'll talk about that. And coming up next is our poem of the day. Oh, very nice. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I was finishing undergrad and got credit cards because I couldn't work full-time. So that started the credit card journey for me. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-936-5496. And then when I got married, we combined our credit card debt, and it became impossible to pay off on our own. At that point, I was like, I don't know where to turn. And then I found Trinity. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. 
I mean, in a matter of three years, we've already paid down $20,000 in credit card debt, which is huge. Call Trinity at 1-800-936-5496. That's 1-800-936-5496. Robinson Township Christian School celebrates a 40-year legacy of producing college-bound, lifelong learners whose lives are marked by wisdom, knowledge, and a compassion for others. At the airport area's only K-12 classical Christian school, students grow to love learning, think deeply, and communicate effectively from a biblical foundation. Robinson Township Christian School, now enrolling preschool through 12th grade at rtcsonline.org. Creation Fest 2019 is coming. Join us with your family and friends for a weekend of worship like no other. Over 70 artists like Skellet, Hillsong Worship, Crowder, Elevation Worship, Carrie Joe, 10th Avenue North, and Mendisa, as well as over 15 speakers like Bob Lenz, Reggie Dabbs, and David Nasser. Be a part of the creation worship experience in the beautiful mountains of central Pennsylvania. Go to creationfest.com to find out more. That's creationfest.com. Love one another as I have loved you. That's what Jesus said, but it's going to take a lot of prayer to make it happen. Join us Thursday, May 2nd, as we celebrate the National Day of Prayer, 6.15 p.m. at Christ Church at Grove Farm. An hour of music, prayer, and exhortation as we call on God to move in our hearts and heal our land. Free and open to the public, come join us for this special one-hour kickoff celebration to mark the official start of the Pittsburgh Prayer Conference. Details at wordfm.com slash prayer. You know, they say the best is yet to come, but to make that true for your retirement, you need a plan. We'll start by tuning in for Your Retirement Blueprint with Kurt Kenotic and Ethan Lane with Accurate Solutions Group every Saturday morning at 10. Kurt and Ethan can help simplify the retirement planning process. No technical terms or calculations, no product pushing, just the information you need for retirement. Don't miss Your Retirement Blueprint with Kurt Kenotic and Ethan Lane of Accurate Solutions Group every Saturday morning at 10, right here on 101.5 Word FM. Oh, it's Poem of the Day music. Ah, April is National Poetry Month, yeah? In uh, my eagerness to get out of the rut I was in for all of my life, mm. hating poetry, last year I kind of, uh, I changed my tune, John, because you made me. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Because you, you're a lover of the language. I am a lover of the language. And so there's poetry which is deeply condensed. And I have- The essence. I've benefited so much from Poem of the Day. I can't mm. tell you. This is a poem that my daughter sent us today. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Anna. Okay, so this poem is called We Real Cool. The author of the poem is Gwendolyn Brooks, who uh, was alive from 1917 to the year 2000. The poem is called The Pool Players, Seven at the Golden Shovel. Here's the poem. We real cool. We left school. We lurk late. We strike straight. We sing sin, we thin gin, we jazz June, we die soon. The Pool Players, Seven at the Golden Shovel, Gwendolyn Brooks. See, now that that really does say something that... I don't know, an, an article can't say. No, you could write 10 paragraphs and it doesn't, and the depth of that, right? That's beautiful. It's very, very clean and lean. I like it a lot. Wow. 
Okay, yeah. So we'd encourage you for National Poetry Month to step out of your comfort zone and mm-hmm. uh, find a poet who strikes. I was reading an article today about Walt Whitman, hmm. right? One of the icons of uh, the poetry world. So it, no matter where you are, there's something for you within the word as people of the word, yep. right? We step out of that and find it a different form of word. Take a quick break. Come back. Uh, Alice Trebek is with us during the 5 o'clock hour. We're going to do phone calls as well at the uh, bottom of the hour. Okay? Mm-hmm. We're going to learn to pray like an apostle with Alistair. We're also going to ask him about Scotland. Yes. I want to ask, Bobby Jones, the movie. I want to ask him about uh, National Golf Day. Find out if he's a golfer himself. WORDFM, Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. In an exchange with Democrat Senator Gene Shaheen of New Hampshire, Attorney General William Barr says he is going to investigate whether the Trump campaign was spied upon during 2016. I think there's a spying did occur. Yes, I think spying did occur. Well, let me. But the uh, question is whether it was predicated, adequately predicated. And I'm not suggesting it wasn't adequately predicated, but I'd need to explore that. I think it's my obligation. Barr was testifying for a second day at a congressional budget hearing that was dominated by questions about special counsel Robert Mueller's Trump Russia investigation. On Wall Street, the Dow by six points to 26,157. The NASDAQ rose 55. The SP advanced 10. And oil was up 63 cents to close at $64.61 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. This is SRN News. You watch what you eat. You're hitting the gym. You're doing your best to live a healthy life. But did you know that a bad night's sleep and a bad mattress can have a big impact on your health? Here at the Original Mattress Factory, our hand-built mattresses made of the highest quality materials provide the comfort and support needed to provide healthy sleep for years to come. To learn more about how the right mattress can help you achieve healthy sleep habits, visit OriginalMattress.com or stop by an Original Mattress Factory store near you. The gimmicks, the flashy sales, and the big markups. Mattress stores have made the mattress shopping experience confusing on purpose. Ron Trzinski started the Original Mattress Factory to create a better way. He raised the bar on quality, offered hand-built mattresses for a fraction of the cost, and ditched the high-pressure sales tactics all to create a better mattress buying experience for you. You could say he was the original disruptor. Stop by an Original Mattress Factory store or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see the OMF difference for yourself. Hi, I'm John Henney from Henney Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our To Have and To Hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HennyJewelers.com. Henny Jewelers, 
your jewelers for life. This Easter, Breakthrough, starring Chrissy Metz. She's been underwater for 15 minutes. The odds were against her son. He's had no pulse for over an hour. Until his mother's prayer. Please, Sandra, please, Spirit, to save my son. Proved the impossible. We've got a pulse! On April 17th. I don't believe John will survive the night. Discover the incredible true story. You don't know my son. Of an extraordinary miracle. He is a fighter. Breakthrough. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. For tickets, go to BreakthroughMovie.com. This is David Jeremiah, and I hope you will join me this week for a special event in your city. Attend the Overcomer Tour this Thursday at the Giant Center, where you will experience a night of dynamic worship, edifying fellowship, and life-changing teaching with David Jeremiah. Request your free tickets to this one-night-only event in Hershey at davidjeremiah.org tour. When wet weather is on the way, keep it dry inside with J&D Waterproofing. Water seepage and a sinking foundation can cause major structural damage if left untreated. Joe Belanti and the team at J&D Waterproofing have the experience to correct your water problem with over 72 years in the industry. Call the Tri-State's premier waterproofing company now at 1-800-VERY-DRY for a free estimate and big savings on all waterproofing services for a limited time. J&D Waterproofing, 1-800-VERY-DRY. Mostly cloudy tonight with a low near 40 degrees. For tomorrow, we do turn warmer again with clouds and some intervals of sunshine. A high right around 70 for tomorrow night. Mostly cloudy, mild with a low of 57. Then for Friday, cloudy with periods of rain and a thunderstorm from mid-morning on. High 69 degrees. With Iraqi weather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. You like uh, game shows, Kath? Not really. TV game shows? I mean, Price is Right? No. Oh my gosh. That is the loudest. Has, no, I can't do that. Nothing. You don't watch any game shows at not, all? Not at They're all. Kind of I mean, like when I, was, when I was a little kid, I used to like the $25,000 pyramid. Was that Dick Clark? No. Well, it was Dick Clark, and it was also. Some guy who looked like... Ken. He was like dark, curly hair. I can't think of what his name was. They were always attractive men. I mean, I don't know if I'd call him attractive. He seemed like a very nice, intelligent man. I don't know. I was like six. $25,000 pyramid. Pyramid. There was also um, Joker's match, Wild. Match game. Joker, Joker, Joker. Right. Remember Joker, that? Joker, Joker, Joker. That's on TV now. And uh, you know who the host is? Who? Snoop Dogg. Joker's Wild yeah. is on it? No way. Yeah, it is, yeah. There's a game show network. Do you know that? Yeah, but I've never seen it. Right. Okay. Well, there was a time uh, during the golden age of television in the 1950s when game shows were all the rage. Yeah. And they were not for the faint of heart or they were not for um, mindless entertainment. These were seri- A lot of them were serious intellectual pursuits. Um, I was reading this today, and I thought, oh, my gosh, look how far afield we've come now. But there was a guy. His name was Charles Van Doren. Charles Van Doren was a Columbia University English instructor and a member of a distinguished literary family who confessed to Congress and a disillusioned nation in 1959 that his performance on a television quiz show had been rigged. 
And this was a gigantic scandal across the country. In the heyday of quiz shows in the 1950s, when scholarly housewives were and walking encyclopedias battled on the $64,000 question, Mr. Van Doren, Charles Van Doren, he was a rare specimen. He was a handsome, personable, young, intellectual, solid academic credentials, a, fa- a faculty post at a prestigious university. His father won the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, His all these things. His mom was a novelist. His uncle was some kind of literary star. Yep. I mean, he was like he couldn't lose. Big time. So for 14 weeks, every day on television, five days a week, from November 28, 1956 to March 11, 1957, Mr. Van Doren captivated audiences of up to 50 million people at a time with performances on the NBC quiz show 21. Mike, we've got a clip from 21. Play that now, please. Tonight here on 21, Herbert Stemple, our 29-year-old GI college student, can win $111,500, the highest amount of money ever to be won on television. But to do this, he's risking much of the money he has won thus far. So right now, let's meet our first two players as Geritol, America's number one tonic, presents 21. From New York City, Mr. Charles Van Doren, and returning with $69,500 from Forest Hills, New York, Mr. Herbert Stemple. You can just feel the black and white television set, right? It's kind of warm on top. So listen, that money, $111,000, was worth more than a million dollars in today's money. This was gigantic money for the 1950s. So he won real money. Yes, he did. Even though the whole thing was a sham? Well, here's the deal. So um, here's here's a question. Uh, One of the questions, a typical question that uh, would have been on the show. The Black Sea is connected to the Aegean Sea via two straits and a smaller sea. Name, oh my God. one, the two straits, two, the smaller sea, and three, the four countries that border the Black Sea. I mean, the more, I mean, like, if I had the question, what hemisphere is the Black Sea in? I'd be like, now hold on. I mean, can now, you believe this? That's a very intense question. So here's Charles Van Doren hesitating wincing, biting his lip, adjusting his earphones in a soundproof glass booth, mopping sweat from his brow. And then Mr. Van Doren, after an apparently excruciating mental struggle, responded, the Straits of Bosphorus and Dardellus, the Sea of Marma, Russia, Turkey, Romania, and Bulgaria. And then a huge eruption right again. Charles Van Doren also identified Henry VIII's wives and their fates. He listed America's four vice presidents in the 1920s. He named the four Balearic Islands. He knew the common names for uh, myopia, missing palatoria reflex, which he, when he finally faltered, missing the name of Belgium's king, hearts were broken. But by then, he was an internationally known star. He appeared on the cover of Time magazine. He won the equivalent of more than a million dollars. He signed a contract uh, for $150,000 to appear on NBC shows. But then rumors started to pass around. And skepticism grew over the TV shows. And then on November, the tw- November 2nd, 1959, Charles Van Doren told congressional investigators that the shows had all been hoaxes, that he had been given questions in advance, and that he had been coached to make the performances more dramatic. And so then he lost his job teaching at Columbia. NBC canceled his contract, and along with others who had lied to the grand jury about their quiz show's roles, he pleaded guilty to second-degree perjury, 
and he received a suspended sentence. Disgraced, he became an editor and a pseudonymous writer. He took a job with Encyclopedia Britannica, moved to Chicago. He eventually became vice president of Encyclopedia Britannica, and uh, he did well later on in life. He wrote multiple books. And, um, well, the only reason he was able to do well later in life is because there was no social media. Right. Because he would have been a, decided that he was a pariah and that he should be blamed forever. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's uh, a great movie about this as yes, well. Yes, Quiz Show. Yes. Which I've never seen, but I do believe I own. I oh, think I picked it up it at a yard sale last summer. All right. So what's the article you're reading from here? Oh, yeah. Sorry. This is from uh, the New York Times. And uh, the article is Charles Van Duren, a quiz show whiz who wasn't, dies at 93. So if he was in on this, so if this was all a sham, yes. he must have been in on it with NBC. Yes. So why did NBC cancel his contract? Well, they were the ones who were it. They yeah, were they working on do? it with him. They can't now. They can't. You know. Yeah. They should have paid him anyway. They were guilty. Can you imagine that today? How about the contestants that he beat along the way because right? they They'd lost all money, sue him, right? Right, but not, there was none of that. Remember the guy who won forever on Jeopardy? Ken Jennings. Okay, I never. I don't watch Jeopardy either, though. I think it's a great show. Um, what if we found out that he had made all? It was oh all. He gosh. was in on it with Alex Trebek. Gigant, yeah. The whole time. Yeah. And the guy who did Joker's Wild was the same guy. Wink who, Martindale. No, no, no. Uh, pre. Uh, pre Wink. Yeah. I forget his name, but he was the same guy who did um, this show. So was he same in on host, it? Uh, apparently. But somehow he had a career as well. It was a more forgiving time, apparently. Anyway, Charles Van Dorn. It's a fascinating right, chapter so in American history. Here's another question. So there were other game shows at that time? Oh, yeah. A ton of them. So did they all just kind of die out after that? Because Pretty nobody, much so. nobody yeah, they went away. The integrity integrity was lost. Right. So nobody believed them. Right. So interesting to know how they resurfaced. Well, then you got you know things like The Price is Right, which were total fluff. They moved away from the more rigorous. Yeah, but now they have. But then Jeopardy has been rigorous and it's yeah, been on for decades. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, but that's I think that's one of the lone wolves, wouldn't you say? There's nothing like Jeopardy on no, television. There isn't. So. Oh, all right. Very nice. Take a break. Come back. I don't know if it's very nice or not. Well. <laughs> I actually don't think it's very nice. I like nice. the story, and I love the movie as well. Where are we going to go next? Oh, Alistair Begg. Yeah, Alistair Begg. Truth for Life heard uh, 6 a.m. Monday through Friday here on Word FM. Pray Big. Learn how to pray like an apostle. It's Alistair's new book. We'll talk to him about that next. Also, it's National Golf Day, and we want to talk to Alistair about whether he really is a golfer or he just showed up in that movie because he was Scottish. We're here at creditrepair.com, the most recognized name in the industry when it comes to resolving credit report issues and getting that credit score up. With me, I got Aaron. Aaron, what happens when people call creditrepair.com? A lot. Just one call gets any listener a free credit score, free credit report, and a free personalized credit evaluation right over the phone. In just a few minutes, you'll know exactly what's hurting your credit and get a personalized game plan to help restore it. And that can make a huge difference when it comes to getting those things that we want, like a new car, a new house or even a brand new job. Absolutely. Your credit score is one of the first things lenders look at and our proven process can help remove those unfair or inaccurate items like late payments and collections from your credit report. In fact, on average, people who have used our service have seen significant improvement in their credit scores month after month. What are you waiting for? Call creditrepair.com today. Call 800-851-5318. That's 800-851-5318. 800-851-5318. Hi, this is 
Tuchel can join me and head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, Steelers players Vance McDonald and Stefan Tuit, and pastors Brian Loretz and Ed Glover for Man Up Pittsburgh on Saturday, June 8th at Victory Family Church in Cranberry. Man Up is a day for all men to work on becoming the best godly leaders they can be. There will be free food, fellowship, worship, powerful messages, and dynamic breakout sessions. From high schoolers to grandfathers, this is for you. Register today at manuppittsburgh.org. Hosted by Urban Impact and brought to you locally by Chick-fil-A of Pittsburgh. Somewhere today, at a Christian school near you, a teacher arrived at work. Not because of a paycheck, but a calling, a divine privilege to invest their skills, their time, their academic training, their entire life to equip young minds for success in this world and beyond. This is how love inspires learning. Visit pittsburghchristianschools.net, education for mind and soul. pittsburghchristianschools.net. Mostly cloudy tonight with a low near 40 degrees. For tomorrow, we do turn warmer again with clouds and some intervals of sunshine. A high right around 70 for tomorrow night. Mostly cloudy, mild with a low of 57. And for Friday, cloudy with periods of rain and a thunderstorm from mid-morning on. High 69 degrees. With Iraqi weather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. All is right and well. We're back in the saddle. <laughs> Alistair Begg is with us. His brand new work is called Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Apostle. Truth for Life airs Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. here on Word FM. Alistair, how are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? We're good. We're happy that you're with us. Yes, okay, so before we talk about golf, which is going to come up because it's National Golf Day, Alistair, I do want to ask you about this terrific new book. It's a small book. It's totally approachable, doable for people who might be intimidated by a big work. Um, this is something that you can really get your hands around. It's called Pray Big, Learn to Pray Like an Apostle. At the very beginning, Alistair, you say that our prayers, how we pray, tells us a great deal about ourselves and our faith. Yeah, it, I think it does. It just in the same way as our conversation uh, reveals, um, um, you know, a, man, a man's heart is out of his mouth that we understand where where he is. And uh, so it would be surprising if that weren't also true yeah. in terms of our own prayer life. Yes. I mean, Alistair, you could, I'm sure, fill libraries with a number of books that have been written about prayer. And, and I wonder, something that would seemingly, for a lot of people, seem to be very uh, easy to do, very natural, natural reflective right. to do. Why is it so difficult for people to talk to the Lord of the universe? Well, it, there's a number of reasons for that. Um, some of it is because uh, on on our end, um, we're very self-assured, and so we don't have an awareness of our own helplessness, or we're rather proud, and we don't like to give credit to somebody else. And even if those things are uppermost, they're ultimately an evidence of the fact that we're involved in spiritual warfare, and that the evil one who is aware of the fact that prayer is a vital component in the purposes of God is determined to make sure, if he can, that uh, that we fail to avail ourselves of this avenue of approach. Mm. And uh, so uh, those things, I think, combine and uh, uh, leave us in the position in which many of us find ourselves. So, Alistair, if our prayers tell us a great deal about ourselves and our faith, um, it's probably not in large part a great recommendation of us. Um, I was just thinking about how I prayed today, uh, you know, as, as I was looking at your book, and I thought, 
Wow. You know, what I prayed today was like, I would say it was like a laundry list or a to-do list. Do you know what I, it was, it wasn't that I didn't mean it. It wasn't that it wasn't heartfelt, but it was procedural. Let's put it that way. Sure. Well, I mean, the the Bible is clear that that, uh, all of these things that are um, routine elements of our everyday existence are not um, absent from the concern of God or the desire of God for us. So I wouldn't want us to to suggest that somehow or another spiritual prayer is impractical prayer. Uh, The affairs of our lives and the concerns of our lives are things that God invites us to mm-hmm. bring before him. But what I'm, what I'm struck by and what gave rise to the book was the absence of those things in the prayers of Paul, not only in writing to the Ephesians, but also in the course of his letters. So in other words, his horizon is far bigger, um, his foundations are far deeper, and his concerns are far more eternal than they are temporal. Mm-hmm. And, and so... There's a dimension there that uh, is, is, is not beyond us, and yet when we deprive ourselves of the ability to go to God in that way, then you know our, our prayers become fairly uh, functional and prosaic and, and, and often irregular. And part of it, I think, has to do with the fact that uh, you know, we're, we're pretty, uh, pretty content the way things are, and we view God as... Uh, someone to call upon as necessary, but by and large, it's not really that much of an issue. Yes. So in Pray Big, Alistair, you spent much time talking about the Apostle Paul uh, and his letters uh, to his friends in Ephesus. Uh, Paul clearly enjoyed prayer, right? I mean, he he was good at it, and he wanted to pass that gift along. Yeah, and and also he, he... I mean, his prayers just came out of his heart. You know, the things that he prayed for these Ephesian believers were huge things, you know, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. Why? Well, because they need to know their identity in Christ. They need to understand that the gospel transforms everything. He wasn't, he wasn't asking for himself that he would be, you know, relieved of his uh, prison sentence or that his circumstances would be repaired. In other words... It wasn't. It didn't start with himself. It really started with God and His purposes and His glory, which, of course, is how His letter starts. You know that mm-hmm. it starts back in eternity, that uh, chosen before the foundation of the world, and He Himself could not get over the fact that He who had been a persecutor of the Church and of Jesus Himself was now actually a proponent of the gospel, and so you know His heart just overflowed in the in the awareness of all that God had done for him and all that God was to him. And I think that the poverty of my prayer life is an indication in many ways of a poverty of my own understanding mm-hmm. of what it means to actually be uh, in Christ, to be united with Christ. Mm-hmm. Alistair, talk about Paul as a person. Um, what does his, I don't know, what is his history, his life situation, how does that inform how he prays? Well, Surely nobody, no one in the Apostle Band suffered as much as he did. I mean, even if he's only given us a a sort of resume of his experiences of being shipwrecked and being beaten and so on, um, also his his own concern with his his what he refers to as a thorn in his flesh, which he 
three times asked the Lord to be removed, and three times he was told, no, because my grace is sufficient for you. Well, you see, it was only his need of grace and his own insufficiency that, that caused him to cry out as he did. And the discovery that he made was out of his helplessness. Uh, once again, uh, when, when we feel ourselves to be pretty well in control, when we're singing the Beatles song, We Can Work It Out, uh, then we're not going to be singing help. And it's only when we come up against something and when we're confronted by our own finitude, by our own um, ineffectiveness in so many ways, that we reach out and beyond ourselves. Mm. And the, the irony of it is that our secular culture is engaged in all kinds of notions of prayer. They don't know who they're praying to. They just know that they're reaching for something or someone beyond themselves. And the irony is that believers who would actually say that they have direct communication with the creator of the universe are the very ones who neglect the the uh, the avenue that has been opened up to them. Yes. Alistair Begg is with us, uh, 6 o'clock every morning here at Word FM, Truth For Life. Alistair, can you talk about your own prayer life? As a boy, did someone teach you how to pray? How did that work, that you knew how to pray appropriately? Well, I would say that that prayer is, for me, the hardest part of all spiritual disciplines, both in personal life, privately, and also in the responsibility and privilege of pastoral ministry, because... It is a huge privilege and yet a great burden to pray on behalf of the congregation mm-hmm. Sunday by Sunday, knowing the breadth of the congregation, knowing something of their circumstances and so on. So, I, you know, part of the reason for writing this book is to help myself. Uh, that's the reason I, you know, I preach the sermons to myself uh, before ever I can preach them to anybody else. And so... To the extent that I learned to pray, yeah, I learned by example. I learned by the example of my parents. Uh, as, a, as a small boy, I can vividly remember hearing a conversation going on outside of my bedroom, listening carefully and realizing this isn't a normal conversation. I don't understand what this is. And then creeping up to the door and realizing that this is, I'm listening to my parents pray. I'm listening to them uh, speak to God about life and about me and about everything else. Yes. Well, that was profoundly influential on my on my young life more than I realized. Yeah. And then in growing up, to be in the company of older people and to learn as I listened to them pray. One of the reasons that young people today have got no no prayer life is because they've never really heard anybody pray, mm-hmm. and and they move amongst their their own group, and so their prayers are as good as they're able to muster but they don't have the advantage of somebody who has lived a life and who has faced many challenges and pitfalls and disappointments and failures and so on. And, and, and to be able to be in the company of that individual as you hear them pray is both immensely powerful and also, I think, very beneficial yes. because we learn by example. Alistair, I have a pretty similar story to, as yours to hear my mother pray. And, and of course, you know, you know the sound of your mother's voice. There's nothing more familiar or more comforting. But I remember being a young boy and stumbling upon my mother praying, and I was struck, and I couldn't define what it was at the time, but I was struck by the holiness of the moment that I had witnessed something that was so deeply intimate. And, of course, you know, you love your mother, but I... I 
I wasn't, but I was almost embarrassed by what I had stumbled into, that the nature of holiness was so before me, I could not help but see that. And I think that in many ways we are missing holiness from that conversation today, and that's one of the the negatives of where we are in this world. Yeah, that's I mean that's wonderfully helpful. I I, I get that, and yeah, the, our our stuff is so horizontal by and large when we gather in as congregations that you know instead of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, starting there. The temptation is that we start with ourselves, and uh, and when we start with ourselves, you know, the end is never very good. Hmm. Alistair, beg with us. Pray big. Learn how to pray like an apostle. Alistair, near the end of your book, you say that Paul's prison prayers remind us that in those seasons when we're not able to do all that we would like to or serve in all the ways that we used to, we can pray, and time spent in prayer is never time wasted. I, I, when I read that, I thought about my mother-in-law, uh, who passed away about, I don't know, three years ago, and um, she suffered with MS for about 50 years. She was diagnosed with it when she was a young woman in her 30s, and um, by the time I met her, there were many, many, many things that she could not do. But she was committed to praying for people. And, you know, that list of hers that she kept with who she was praying for was like a – it was like a map. It was serious. It had notes right. on it. It had check marks. And it had – there was a lot going on there. And I think she realized that truth of what you wrote there, that in spite of what physically she could not do, there was a whole spiritual world that was still open to her. Yeah, that's – I mean, that's wonderful. And and. That story is going to be repeated again and again, you know, in a new heaven and in a new earth when those of us who think that we were, you know, uh, particularly useful for some reason or another are, are, you know, humbled once again to realize that folks like your mother-in-law and folks like uh, many uh, older people who no longer have the same capacity or functionality but who have taken on the, the burden of prayer uh, you know, are shining like mm-hmm. like stars in the firmament because, you know, preaching, you know, prayer is really the work and preaching is gathering up the results of the work because only God opens blind eyes and only God softens hard hearts. And God, in the mystery of his purposes, has chosen to work in answer to our prayers. And and that is both mysterious and, and wonderful at the, at the same time. Yes. Alistair Begg, pray big, learn to pray like an apostle. So, Alistair, in what your story, mine, Kathy's, there's this element of humility, I guess, right? Right. When, when you see someone on their knees with their head bowed and they're speaking to the Lord, it's a very beautiful, humble thing. And I think for a, a lot of people, a lot of us, that we can't, you know, we're so invested in me, 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 that to pray is a hard place to start because we can't get out of our own way. Yeah, uh, that's an opening sentence in, in the first chapter. To pray is an admission and an expression of dependence. And, uh, you know, if you're self-righteous, you're not going to pray prayers of confession. Mm-hmm. There's no need to. If you're good enough to earn God's blessing. But, the, but when I know my heart before God, that I don't pray enough, that I don't love enough, that I don't witness enough, then, you know, on what basis am I coming before God? Only on the basis, the only basis, which is the righteousness of Christ. 
and that, that the awareness of that, that God loves me despite who I am, not because of who I am, is, is just fantastic. And that ought to at least fuel, uh, you know, fuel my praise. You know, if I'm running out of things to say thank you for, I say, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, a wretch like me, you know, because I, I know how, you know, unkind I can be. I know how bad-tempered I can be. I know I can be a complete pain in the neck. And so, you know, I ought to just spend a long time thanking God for these things. Hmm. Alistair, uh, before we let you go, it is National Golf Day. And uh, we thought of wow. you because we were talking about the, the genesis of golf being in Scotland, your native land. Of and, um, yeah. and, of course, recognizing that you had a, a part in the Bobby Jones movie. And, and so are you, in fact, a golfer yourself? <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, uh, some people play golf and other people play at golf. Sure. You know, I used I used to play golf. The older I get, I think I moved to the playing at golf. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I'm passionate about it. But all my best rounds have been while I'm asleep. Okay, good. Now keep in mind, there's a third subset of people which uh, I'm a part, which is we just watch other people play golf. So that's yeah. one, yeah, that's yeah. one step worse. Yeah, but this is a great week for that because the Masters begins tomorrow. Exactly. Yes, it is. Exactly. So, do you want yeah. Do you want to give us your pick for who you think might uh, take the green jacket oh, this week? You know, I. I I, I've never I've never picked a winner. You know, I've got people I would like to see win. Yes. I, I, I would like I, I would like to see uh, Fleetwood, the yes. English guy with the long hair right on the back of his cap. He's got more hair like than to, all the rest of them put together. Yeah, I know. I'd like to see Tommy win, but I'd love to see Justin Rose win as well. Mm-hmm. He's starting to run out of time, and he came second uh, last time around. Uh, everybody's talking about Rory, which probably means he won't win. Right. Uh, oh, and 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 on the American side, I'd like to see Ricky Fowler. Ricky win. Fowler, he's my pick. He's he's yeah, right there. I, he's been right there so many times. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I I've got a sort of nostalgic streak in me as well for the old guys that who might just manage somehow or another to to pull one off. You know, the old guys at forty eight. Wonderful. Right? You mean yeah? No, guys, no guys like guys like Bernhard Langer. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. How old? Well, he's he's not sixty yet, is he? No, but he's in he's in this. He plays in the senior tour only. Does he? Okay. As, yeah, and has done. He's close. He might be close to sixty now. Wow. Okay. Well, Alistair, thanks a lot. I mean, we always appreciate the time with us and uh, the conversation you bring to the airwaves and especially your humility, humility and the power of your teaching. Uh, it's really good. I mean, really, we don't take it lightly and wow. uh, appreciate wow. your time here with us. Well, I appreciate that. You know, Augustine said there's something about humility that appeals to my ego. So, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks an awful lot. Yeah. Alistair Beck, our pleasure. Thanks. Pray big. Learn to pray like an apostle. His latest work on the Apostle Paul and his prayers. Alistair Begg, Truth for Life, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. here on Word FM. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino, and believe me, If SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-494-2323. That's 800-494-2323.
800-494-2323. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. I was just up at Grove City College last night. I had to return my daughter. Um, and <laughs> To the campus. <laughs> yeah, I returned you. Not to the store where I bought her. <laughs> I've had it. Uh, so I drove up there. My husband and I both did. And um, we dropped her off. And it was a beautiful night. It was the first warm night this year that I have been out. Lovely. Anyway, I was walking around the quad up there. And, you know, John, you and I in the air, we've talked about Grove City a lot. And we've talked about the wonderful diversity of thought, uh, uh, you know, the encouraging perspective of the professors, the wonderful community of students who are from all different places all over the country, um, and the way that we feel like our kids are being well prepared for life being there. But one thing we've never talked about, and I thought of it last night when I was there and I just soaked it in, it's such a beautiful place. Is it ever? It is such a beautiful campus. And as I was sitting there, I thought, you know, I've never shared with our listeners just how much I appreciate the aesthetic of being at Grove City. Yep. Now, both you and I have, uh, we attended urban campuses. Yes, we did. Right? So the smell of the bus fumes, (laughs) the rush of the crowd. You take your life into your own hands sometimes. Well, I tell you, going to visit Grove City, being a student at Grove City College, you are surrounded Mm -hmm. by the bounty, the beauty of nature. It just makes the education all the sweeter. For information about you and your child gcc.edu Grove City College Hi, it's me, Marsha, at the Springhouse. Did you know Easter's springing up on us? And quickly, too. Do you know what that means at the Springhouse? Well, first of all, it means you can enjoy the freshest, tastiest fried or baked cod every Friday night on the farm. It also means it's time to call and order your Springhouse Easter goodies. Our hickory smoked hams are extra special. We use only real hickory wood from the farm to slowly smoke these old-fashioned treats to perfection. Order a whole or half, and we'll send along cooking instructions, too. Mmm, how about Springhouse scalloped potatoes and homemade applesauce to go without ham? Finish off your meal with a from-scratch Springhouse coconut cream pie or custard pie or a chocolate log cake. Oh, and you can even decorate your table with our adorable bunny breads and eat them, too. Easter also means our annual Springhouse Easter egg hunt and Palm Sunday feast. Check us out at springhousemarket.com for all the details. Celebrate this most joyous holiday at the Springhouse in 84, Pennsylvania. Word FM presents the Pittsburgh Prayer Conference, Thursday, May 2nd at 7.30 p.m. through Friday, May 3rd. Join Pastor John Guest and an expert panel of prayer warriors from RPTS, Geneva College, the Biblical Counseling Institute, Impact Christian Church, and more as we explore and grow in this vital gift and privilege to the church, featuring seven general and two breakout sessions. The Pittsburgh Prayer Conference, May 2nd and 3rd at Christ Church at Grove Farm. Tickets and details at wordfm.com slash prayer. Hi. I'm John Henney from Henney Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our to have and to hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HenneyJewelers.com. Henney Jewelers, your jewelers for life. We're going to go see uh, the movie Unplanned. Unplanned tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, an early, uh, an early 
afternoon chilling. But check this out. Uh, this week, the Senate will host a hearing called Stifling Free Speech, Technology, Censorship, and the Public Discourse. And according to reports, executives from Twitter, Facebook, and Google have been asked to testify. At the center of the discussion is the film Unplanned. Now, of course, the Unplanned tells the story of Abby Johnson. She'll join us on Monday's show a former Planned Parenthood employee who has since become a pro-life activist. Now, Twitter suspended the film's account reportedly after it linked it to another account that violated the site's term of use. Right. So what is that site, which they've never specified? Right. The suspension was lifted after about an hour amid intense blowback from users who supported the film. However, Twitter said it was all an accident. From The Hollywood Reporter, they say this, quote, according to Twitter, Unplanned was not suspended on purpose, but rather was linked to another account that had violated Twitter's rules. When one account violates those rules, the system then cracks down on linked accounts to mitigate the risk that the original banned account would simply move accounts. After reviewing this case a second time, Twitter decided that unplanned account should not be affected by the other suspension and restored it. One of the filmmakers, Charles Kozelman, who will also testify, said Google initially refused to sell unplanned banner ads. Mm-hmm. In a statement to The Hollywood Reporter, Ted Cruz said, quote, The ridicule of the mainstream media and Hollywood is to be expected, but big tech's attempted censorship of Abby Johnson's story during its opening weekend is deeply troubling and revealing. I've repeatedly asked tech companies for basic data on how many voices on their social platform are silenced and to what extent it is politically targeted. I intend to keep asking these questions and hold big tech accountable. Good for him. Goodness gracious. I mean... Again, you do not want to fall into the, you know, the narrative of Christian persecution because, you know. No, but here's what here's my theory. And I think this has some validity to it. I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy. I think that this has some foundation. Um, in 2016, when Donald Trump won the election, it was such a shock, a shock to a whole lot of people. But I think one of the subsections of of uh, people in America that were really taken aback by it were people who work in Silicon Valley, who are the heads and the movers and shakers in the big tech world. And I think the reason it was so shocking to them is because the Trump campaign utilized social media, the platforms that they had created. And I, this is not this. Some of this is not original thought. Neil Ferguson wrote a book um, about this uh, about a year after the election. Um, and he talks about this type of scenario that Silicon Valley has had a hard time coming to grips with, the fact that their own platforms are the things that were used against them, right. so to speak. So they were all in the bag for Hillary from an ideological perspective, and their tools were used by the opposition just better. Right. So now it would not be a far stretch, what you're saying, to see them tighten the reins trying to tighten the or reins. exclude people right. totally. Right. They're trying to say, now, wait just a minute. You know, we're the we're supposed to be the harbingers of, you know, what's culturally acceptable. And now... You know, we were beaten at our own game in 2016, so we need to regain our position. Look, I don't know what happened with the unplanned thing, but I was on Twitter when that was all going on, and you could not access anything about that film. So, sure, it could have been a glitch, but Twitter has never released the name of that other phantom account, whatever it is, (laughs) that unplanned was linked to that made the whole thing shut down. Well, I guess it's, you know, it goes back to the So, what's that? Is it some, is it like, 
the National Review or is it like, you know, Prager U or like, is it some, some conservative place they didn't want to have anything to do with? Was it Life Action? Was it, you know, right. Heartbeat International? What was it? So it, it, in many ways, this controversy has helped the film because it's kept it in the news cycle and just with the fact that we're talking about it, I'm sure there are many other Christian conservative mm-hmm, media outlets who are doing the same thing. Yeah. So it draws people into the film who will not necessarily yep. go and see it. Because believe me, there's been a ton of Christian films in the mm-hmm. past few weeks. I wish at least five or six have been released. I feel like it's important to not cry persecution. So what you said no, is no, exactly no, 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 no. right. What you said is exactly right. At the same time, I think it's important to be aware of what's of going on. So uh, Dennis Prager, who's a syndicated talk host who works for the same network uh, for whom we work. Salem. Um, Salem Media Group. He has been in a protracted legal battle with Google um, and with YouTube. Over Prager U. Over Prager U. About them uh, categorizing some of the Prager U videos as being, I don't know, even know what the category is. They put them in hate. Anyway, they you couldn't view them. Now, there's nothing hateful about them. It's just a conservative perspective. Now, here's the thing. You might not agree with those particular videos. Well, that's the problem I with society. Might, I might not agree with those particular videos. But guess what? That doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be heard. Right. I mean, First I, we are seriously... We are seriously far down a path of only wanting to hear what we want to hear and somehow looking at our cultural gatekeepers as people who get to decide for us. Right. I mean, you know, everyone was always invested in when will Big Brother come upon us? Well, believe me, Big Brother's here. Of course, Big Brother's here. Because when you go to Google something online, guess what? They're deciding what comes into your Google search. That's exactly it. There's the feed. Right, so the democracy of the internet—that's a myth, no, it a is misnomer. A myth. Absolutely, no doubt about that. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. I mean, I don't know how to restore democracy to that to that field I don't because think you I don't can. understand anything about that field. I, I have I have no tech capability in that regard, but I'm grateful that there are elected representatives who care enough to bring it up. Right, I'll tell you one thing: it won't be banned is cat videos. That's right, because. They're good for everybody. I mean, everybody wants a good cat. I video. love a cat video. I got to be honest. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever watched a cat video, and I like cats. I just, you know, there are other things I want to see. You've never watched a cat video. I, can't, I mean, I hear people talk about. Oh, I've, you know, where was I? Where was I the other day? Someone was saying. Oh, I know. I went to a conven- I went into a convenience store, and the woman behind the counter was sitting there looking at her phone, and she said. I love these cat videos. They really keep me sane during these slow periods. She's watching cat videos at work? <laughs> she, you know, That's not good. You know, people, there you go. Mike, do you watch cat videos? No. No. <laughs> no. That was a long right. road into that. No, no Mike. I know how much you love cats, Kathy. I do. Well, you, don't want to set her, you don't want to let her down. Yeah, right? I don't want to let you down. No, no. I mean, we're pro cat video. Right. Like, I mean, you, I you like telling me you watch a lot of cat videos? No, I don't watch a lot of them. Cat I videos. But I, I mean, I have certainly watched a number of cat videos. I mean, I like animal videos in general. Do you? I don't watch any. Yes, of you don't watch. No, like, you I don't. don't watch the squirrel that tries to get at the bird and falls down the flagpole. No, I you don't do get not. into any of that. I, I mean, do people. Not. Nope. It's I'm like high sorry. comedy from the Animal Kingdom. I just don't get it. I mean, it's. Guys. I'm sure it's cute and funny, but uh, you know what the heck. So all the ones I send to you, just never watch. I don't think you send me anything. <laughs> That's right, because I know you'd never watch. No, it. they're That's my why spam send them. Probably. I will take a break. Come back. Listen, this scintillating conversation on cat videos can only be heard on the ride home with John and Kathy. You can check us out online, johnandkathyshow.com. Take a break. Come back. Who knows what's next? Stick around. Share, like, comment, tweet. 
Are these foreign terms to your business? They may not be to your competition and the reason you're losing sales. We're Salem Surround. We take the mystery of digital marketing off your shoulders, letting you run your business while we deliver customers. We offer a free analysis of your digital marketing effectiveness and suggest methods that could dramatically increase your sales. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. Robinson Township Christian School celebrates a 40-year legacy of producing college-bound, lifelong learners whose lives are marked by wisdom, knowledge, and a compassion for others. At the airport area's only K-12 classical Christian school, students grow to love learning, think deeply, and communicate effectively from a biblical foundation. Robinson Township Christian School, now enrolling preschool through 12th grade at rtcsonline.org. A daughter's squeal of delight can't be made in a factory or bottled in a jar or imported. It's a byproduct of the most important business in the world, raising children. Daddy, look at that picture I drew at school. <laughs> Kids need fatherly love and input. They need a manly ear to hear about their accomplishments. They need Dad to make them obey. Hey, Dad, what do you think about my new hairstyle? When men make family life a top priority, studies show their children are better adjusted socially, healthier, and perform better at school. Dad? I met the man I want to marry. He's just like you, Daddy. No business success provides the satisfaction that a healthy, happy, loving family brings. Dad, your children need you. Be there for them, now and for the years to come. A friendly reminder for your family from Focus on the Family. Got issues with youth or high school sports? Positive Coaching Alliance can help. PCA, a national nonprofit, offers more than a 1,000 free online resources for youth and high school sports coaches, parents, students, and administrators. Visit PCADevZone.org. Oh, you know, the big screen is up and running. People on the parkway right now headed down to... The Civic Arena parking lot. The paint. Yeah. That's where the... Uh, they moved it this year. Yeah. Though, right? Yeah. It's in, it's, it's, it's in the arena parking lot now. I uh, I want to go tonight. It, well, then go. I can't. I can't. I got something going on at my house. Oh, I think it's going to be cold tonight. I don't. I really don't want to go tonight. Really? I mean, this is the part... I, so I much said fun. This, I said this to you earlier. This is the time when hockey gets to be so exciting. Oh, it's the best. And sickening like just physically upsetting emotionally startling mm-hmm. it's just i start to become very nervous Ill, right very very nervous so here we are mid-april and this is if we're fortunate we'll have that sick feeling until june right yeah i would like to have the sick feeling as long as possible so yesterday mike and i agreed that uh that the pens would beat the islanders in six I you said, said they would go seven i heard today someone talking they go oh this is done in five Oh, I don't think that we should say this is done in five. I I do not think. But I would like to know, I think you should pick a star for tonight's game. I think each one of us should pick a star for tonight's game. Phil Kessel. Someone who, ah, jeez, you were on that. Phil Kessel. Well, that was your pick. I was going to, yeah. What he said. Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel. You know. All the way. Feel the thrill. I seriously was going to say Kessel. What? I was going to say it, but then you said it first, and then you went and said it. We all said it. Okay. I think that means something good. I think so, too. Okay, so Phil Kessel is going to be the star of the game. You know what's great? Hmm. I have his bobblehead. What? Where'd you get a bobblehead? From my cousin for Christmas. 
Oh, really? Yes. Well, uh, He's holding the Stanley Cup, friends. Nice. Yeah, okay. So um, I looked at ticket prices. Okay. You can still buy a few tickets for like uh, 100 and- <laughs> 120 to 150 bucks. And those are like nosebleed seats. Right. Wouldn't you love to go? Of course, I've never Definitely. been to a, I've never been to a playoff game. Have you Mike? Oh my god. I've never been to a playoff go. game. It, it's it's a different experience. I bet it, it really is. is. Well, of course it's it louder. is. Oh my gosh, the the energy it's crazy is crazy wild, man. It is crazy wild. It's non-stop crazy yeah. wild. Well, how do wish we knew somebody in the Penguins front office. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> I mean, just to get in there. Mike, I'd, can't I'd be you happy go meet somebody over the next couple of days? Sure. I'll, let me call Sid. For too okay. late. It's way too late. He used to have his number. It's never too late. It is. It's never too late. I mean, late. now all of a sudden you're jumping on the bandwagon. You're a hanger on. Hey, did you, you hear know? that Dumoulin's back? Yeah. He is. Yes, yes he is. Yeah. He's okay. back. So who's who's the odd man out? Oli Mata. Oh, Oli's oh, not playing. Oli's not playing. Yeah. Are you done? up in the air. I'm, I'm Do you not, know that for a fact or I, is that your pick? No, that is, uh, that is my pick and, um, yeah, that's up in the air right now. I think it might be Jack Johnson. I mean, I'm not saying he's played badly. Really? I'm just, I'm not saying he's played badly. Wow. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think it's a possibility. Okay. Now, considering that, remember that, remember, of course you do, the hiccup of the giving up of the late game leads, mm. right? This yes. is a fine time for you to bring that this up. This scares yeah. me because now, you know what I mean? It's tense it's already. With think like, about the last two Flyers games. Of course. Oh, my. It's terrifying. And then all of a sudden, Gosh. boom, 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 boom. Oh, so please, Matt Murray, please. Yes. For the love of all that is good and holy and true, every, stop the and puck, every my defenseman, friend. sacrifice your bodies. Yes, yes. please block all the shots as you can. Do you think what's that like? Do you think like, they have like their bodies covered in bruises? Yes, Definitely. really, like just yes. gigantic welts. Mm-hmm. Yes. They have these. Um, they have these skate guards. They're like plastic rubber rubber slash plastic skate guards. You put, you attach them to the top of your skate, <laughs> so you don't get a broken foot <laughs> taking a ninety nine miles per hour, per hour puck at you. Oh my gosh. Those guys. That's. I mean, that's a whole different thing. It's the craziest I mean, sport. I love baseball. Love football. But you gotta. You hockey, gotta just. You gotta respect the hockey player, do. don't you? It's I mean, what the heck apart. are they doing? I think by far, playoff NHL playoff hockey is more intense than any other playoff. I think yeah. you're right. Sport. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I was telling Mike that last night, my husband and I started watching something that was aired at least a year ago. Might have been about a year and a half ago because I think it was aired in the summer. It was it's the Penguins' fiftieth anniversary special mm. where they go back and just trace the whole history of the team. If you have a ch- if you've not yeah. seen this and you have a chance to see it, where is it? You have well, it's on my DVR. It's called the Peng- <laughs> the Penguins are home. The Penguins are home. Really, I believe so. Penguins it, are home, or Penguins mm. is home. It is. So, I mean, there are so many things about the Pens in the 90s I just forgot. I mean, these are games that I watched in the that 1990s. I forgot in the 1990s, yeah. Yeah. The 1991, back-to-back 92. I mean, I, it just, like, getting getting Mark Recchi, um, the the whole situation with Yager mm. and how depressed he was that he couldn't find anyone who could speak his language. The Badger Bob legacy. The whole Badger, oh, Badger Bob, Bob thing. I thought Badger Bob was here three years at least. It was only one year. One year only? One year that that finished in a really? Stanley Cup win. Holy smokes. Where did he go after that? Why I did thought he leave? that Mario's cancer started before his back problems. It was the reverse. Yeah. Oh I mean, gosh. so much of the history I'd screwed up yeah, in my yeah, head. Yeah. I was telling Mike, I, I remember going with my Uncle Ed to the first season of Penn's games. That's he would go he had season tickets. That's wild. really so you yeah. must have been a really little kid. Yeah, I was little. I mean, but I went. Wow. Uncle, Uncle Ed Walsh, thank you so much. Yeah, let's they're a lot Pens. better now than they were then. Let's go Pens. Please let's go Pens. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.